Vitayu, welcome to this week's edition of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio, broadcasting live every Wednesday from 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Pacific Time on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. This is part two of three podcasts from this week's show. Here is a song by a group called Kozak System, and uh, this was also recorded just especially for the uh, Maidan, and it is called Brat Zabrat Zabrata. Ритмами стрімкими, потоками, щось потушно, губає в грудях, чистими помислами, твердими кроками, хай світло небесне засяє в людях. Хто сам вирішує долю, хто сам приймає рішення, без груду, без блуду, без гною, без болю, життям своїм залишається втішеним. Зміна свого не зійме руку, брата, брата, не скаже свого. Ukrainian food flair with Sylvia Molnar. Tips for Ukrainian cooking. Hello. We can never get enough of root vegetables. They are so 
versatile. We roast, bake, fry, boil, and steam them. I don't think we ever get tired of them, which is a good thing as they are so healthy for us. And recipes are endless. The parsnip, or petrushka in Ukrainian, is a wonderful root vegetable. When young, the parsnip has a sweet, nutty flavor that can be used to a cook's advantage. Parsnips look like thick white carrots. They are available most of the year, but are best in the colder months as they sweeten after the first frost. When you're buying parsnips, select the ones that are firm, crisp, and without cracks. A good tip is to buy smaller parsnips if possible. Older and larger parsnips can be aggressive in taste. If you're using large ones, split in half and remove the woody core. Parsnip wedges can be cooked with roast beef, adding during the last hour of cooking, or add slices to soups and stews in the last 30 minutes of cooking. They are great when pureed with mashed potatoes or baked apples. They are also good roasted with brown sugar, butter, and nutmeg. Now, for Ukrainian-style baked root vegetables, you'll need one medium turnip in one-inch slices, one large parsnip sliced, two large carrots sliced, two large potatoes quartered, one quarter cup butter, half a cup boiling water, one teaspoon salt or to taste. Melt the butter in boiling water, place veggies in a casserole, cover with the melted butter and sprinkle with salt. Cover and bake in a 375 degree oven for about an hour and a half without turning or removing the lid. Another tip for the very best chicken soup is to add one diced carrot, one diced parsnip, and one white onion, finely chopped, to about six cups of chicken stock. Saute the veggies lightly in a little butter first, though, and then add to the stock. Add some egg noodles and boil for 15 to 20 minutes. And before serving, garnish soup with dill. Yummy! Until next time, try it. It's Ukrainian. Thanks, Sylvia, for sharing your Ukrainian culinary expertise on Ukrainian food flair here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Ma, ma, ma. 
Sofia Rotaru from Ukraine with Odna Kalena. And it's, uh, the translation is One Cranberry Tree, but it is very symbolic and it is pretty much a song about Ukrainian unity made very popular 10 years ago uh, during the Orange Revolution and obviously still very apropos today. And speaking of the uh, revolution today, we have on the line with us now somebody who's been trying to get on for weeks now, and uh, we actually tried last week, and uh, we dro- the call got dropped in the middle of the conversation. And his name is Dmitro Potichin. Uh, he is from Kiev, and he is uh, an expert uh, in peaceful civil civil disobedience movements. And uh, so, very interested to hear what he has to say today. Dmitro, welcome. We you, Dmitro. Now, uh, tell us a, tell us a little bit about your background. How it is that you you come to be known as somebody who is um, uh, pretty much an expert in civil disobedience movements. Well, I'm Ukrainian. I'm from Kiev, from suburbs, and uh, I, my background is international relations. I used to work in the embassy of Japan to Kiev, and it was 2000 uh, during the uh, Kuchma Gate and. Uh, 
as a Polish analyst in the embassy, I got more involved uh, with the protests than with the embassy, actually. Hmm. And that was uh, first involvement with protests. And uh, that was kind of, you, you know, Ukraine without Kuchma, uh, UBK. It was a moment uh, very important, but at that point it was a failure. So I started to look at the ways how to uh, do that uh, more efficiently. And that's how I found out about Jim Sharp and nonviolent resistance. And uh, closer to 2004 election, I was uh, invited to coordinate a project. And actually, that, that's what we uh, did with lots of people. And uh, we, we coordinated uh, several things. Uh, it was voter education campaign. But since we were sure that uh, we were going to face... Uh, um, an attempt of Kuchma regime to give power to uh, another bad guy. We were planning to not just have fair elections, but also be ready for, for civil disobedience and usage of uh, nonviolent resistance methods to make sure that voters uh, are protected and their votes are, are safeguarded. And... and Mm -hmm. That's basically the first story. And since 2004, uh, I'm advising a number of civil campaigns around the world, and uh, I trained people in a number of countries, including Egypt and uh, some others. Really? So wow. Now I'm a blogger, and I'm writing, and uh, most or mostly on these issues of uh, power theory and violent resistance, uh, foreign policy, sometimes European integration, and uh, it's it's now a very interesting time in Ukraine, of course. <laughs> very yes, very interesting. And um, where are you in Kiev? Are, are you you pretty much uh, are you on the Maidan much? Obviously, you live in the city, so. Well, I'm there from time to time. I uh, been there the early days when it was just Independence Square, but uh, I'm not an active participant of the protests. Uh, I, I'm trying to, to to understand what's going on and to talk to people, uh, to friends. Many of them are there, and I'm sometimes uh, helping them. I spend uh, uh, a night in, in the security of the Maidan, uh, you know, standing on on the line, and uh, I'm visiting Grushevskaya uh, Street regularly, uh, but. Uh, I'm not taking an active part in this protest. Uh, I'm, I'm an ordinary citizen uh, in, in, in this protest. Yeah, it's kind of a... Um... And, uh, actually trying to look and to analyze and to, to probably, and sometimes suggest what can be done. Now, you said that you were an advisor uh, to the... Uh, Sorry? Excuse me? You said you were an advisor to the, uh, the Egyptian um, uprising. Tell us a little bit about that. What role did you play... Uh, and how how did you influence it? Well, we were training activists, and we were trying to help people uh, plan a nonviolent part of the resistance, of course. It was not 100% uh, nonviolent, of course, as we know, but uh, I guess uh, part of the problems that Egypt has now, they're caused by, uh, by the violence that were faced by both sides, and... Uh, Usually it's much more difficult to reform a country than when there is history of violence uh, on both sides. Because now, then it's not about reforming country and making, uh, you know, good rules for everybody. 
but it's about you know revenge and such things. That's why that's why violence is is, is a problem. And besides, usually it helps mobilize uh, people around those able to provide security. And in most of the cases, security can be provided, uh, uh, or at least there is a perception that those who are in, in the regime, with in the security services, in the police in the government, they can provide security. And that's why uh, violence uh, on, on, uh, during the uh, protests usually it brings uh, more uh, state uh, functions uh, in, in the play. And uh, that's why it's always difficult for civil society and, uh, and democracy to develop when there are clashes on the streets. And statistically, uh, there is a very interesting study by two uh, American uh, researchers. They took uh, most of the uh, the biggest protests uh, in the last hundred years, both violent and non-violent. And in this regard, it was a very unique uh, study. So they compared the efficiency of these two types of uh, resistance movements, like, uh, you know, because... The state is usually using uh, violence when it is about dictatorial states, especially. Mm. But uh, recent movements, uh, they are sometimes using it, and sometimes they are able to stay non-violent. So they compared uh, these two types of actions, and they found out that um, uh, non-violent movements, they are twice as efficient as violent movements in reaching their aims. Uh, and um, now all those you know theories of nonviolent resistance, after this research, they they got the statistical uh, ground, uh, and this claim became much more serious. And uh, it doesn't mean that uh, a resistance movement using violence cannot be successful, but it means that uh, doing this is uh, reducing uh, chances for success. Wow. Uh, in, 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 in a worldwide scale. So, uh, and uh, in the Ukrainian case, uh, uh, of course, basically, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter in what part of the success stories uh, you can get, but uh, the Ukrainian history is history of successful nonviolent movement. And uh, although lots of people are disappointed with the results of the Orange Revolution, uh, the part that was done uh, to bring down the attempt of usurpation of power uh, by the Yanukovych regime in 2004, it was successfully uh, prevented. Uh, so the the Ukrainians, they have history of successful uh, nonviolent resistance uh, 10 years ago. And unfortunately, now we, we, we got the same Yanukovych uh, regime, and uh, of course now the strategy must be different, but uh, the basic things such as nonviolent resistance and coordination, uh, they, they still can work, and uh, this is my belief, and uh, I think that uh, over time there will be more and more people uh, sharing this, uh, this attitude, and uh, 
practicing uh, strategies of nonviolent resistance. Interest, interesting perspective, uh, Dimitro. It pretty much uh, speaks to the whole idea that, that democracy is messy. Um, you're saying that there is progress, but it's very slow and, um, and messy. This is uh, Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I am speaking with Dmitro Patikhin in Kiev, and uh, he is giving us an uh, update on the uh, the Maidan and also some very interesting insights on civil disobedience. Now, Dmitro, you were saying that um, uh, that there there have been studies that have shown that nonviolent protests are more effective than violence. So, would this then have been obviously in Incentive for the state to get in and and um, and foment violence and and stir up trouble and pit people against each other and probably even uh, place provocateurs in to start some violence to to slow that to halt its effectiveness. It, it's usually it's a problem for any movement to keep uh, nonviolent culture because uh, there are some radicals willing to uh, to use force and, and violence. And they don't share the idea that actually uh, nonviolence is also a force, a force which can help bring those on the other side uh, of, of barricades uh, to the side of the people. And this is usually a problem. And uh, that's why uh, what I'm trying to do uh, and some other people, we are trying to uh, share these this tactics and show how nonviolence can be efficient. So it's not just, you know, believe uh, in something good. It is actually uh, about efficiency. Uh, because uh, what what you have to uh, do is actually let those people in the ranks of the security forces, of police, change the sides. And uh, you can hardly uh, make those people switching to your side uh, if you are using violence against them and if you, if you are throwing Molotov cocktails at them. So uh, what is needed is actually uh, providing two things, uh, legitimacy of uh, resistant movements and illegitimacy of, of the regime. And actually, all these uh, conditions, uh, they are present in Ukraine now. Uh, the regime of Yanukovych is legitimate since the 2010 change of the Constitution. Actually, as you know, it was uh, changed by the Constitutional Court, and now we have Constitution in Ukraine said by the Constitutional Court. And this is very wrong. Actually, Constitutional Courts, they can't define constitutional order of a country. Uh, and there is uh, opinion from the Venice Commission, also from 2010, defining that uh, this uh, constitutional framework in Ukraine is lacking legitimacy. So translating it into simple language, actually, we, we don't have legitimate constitution now. And uh, as you perfectly know, when you have uh, no legitimate constitution, you, you, you can't have officials because uh, powers of officials, they are defined by constitution, and they can act only within uh, the authorities and powers that are defined by, by law or constitution. So since there is no constitution in Ukraine, we, we uh, can't call all these people to be officials. Actually, 
we we can say that Yanukovych is the president. He was he was uh, elected and uh, he was elected legitimately. But since uh, under his rule, the constitutional court uh, tried to change the constitution and uh, increase his powers. Uh, as of today, we don't have legitimate constitution, we don't have legitimate president, we don't have even legitimate uh, parliament, because also uh, powers of the parliament also defined by the constitution, as you know. So, uh, and it's, it, 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 everybody knows that. Everybody. Uh, the opposition knows that, but the problem is that the opposition also started taking part in these illegitimate uh, bodies, including the parliament. They they kept addressing Yanukovych as the president, although actually he is just an usurper. Okay, and uh, uh, journalists also kept calling him, and uh, let alone the the foreign governments. But you know, in the case of the foreign governments, I I can understand them because there is diplomatic protocol and. They have to talk to somebody in the country, okay? Mm-hmm. But uh, the question with the citizens of Ukraine, uh, it's, it's still here. Why, why we are still keep calling all these guys to be officials? So uh, why it's so important? Why it's not just about, uh, you know, constitutional theory and rule of law? Basically, it's about who can give orders to the uh, police. And since, uh, you know, police as any, uh, policemen as any uh, officials they, and, and officers, they can act only if they are given by legitimate orders, by the people who are giving uh, orders legitimately. And now, as of today, since we don't have constitution and there is the opinion of the uh, Venice Commission on that, uh, one of the most influential uh, international bodies in, in, in the field of uh, constitutional law. Why, why do we call these guys uh, officials? Why do we expect, uh, if we call themselves, if we uh, deal with them as with officials, why do we expect Berkut, for instance, and uh, um, other policemen to switch the sides we need to communicate to them that actually they are following legitimate orders. And uh, this is what, what our position and what our activists failing to do. And uh, I keep calling, I keep talking to them, I uh, blog regularly on that. Uh, I made you know, layout of a leaflet uh, to be given to the people and to the uh, policemen, but uh, as of today, still this this communication line is very weak, and uh, and we keep playing this game, and that's that's a problem. The metro, and, um, yeah. yeah, this is a way to yes. The 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 problem I'm 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 seeing is that the the opposition is not helping uh, the situation any. They've been actually negotiating uh, with Yanukovych. They've been talking to him and his capacity as president. Yes, that's a problem. And if you if uh, you consider somebody to be legitimate, then you don't talk to him. And uh, Yanukovych is actually uh, mobilizing people around his post. Uh, by, uh, you know, uh, trying to serve as somebody who is able to, uh, to to solve this crisis, but actually that's not true. 
he he uh, he can solve it. But what he can do and what he is uh, doing is actually uh, misusing this uh, protest. He is using this protest in, uh, to to uh, legitimize uh, himself. And the problem uh, with the opposition leaders that they don't understand that they are actually providing Yanukovych with legitimacy. But what they uh, should have done, they should form alternative institutions. And this is also very basic uh, principle known to any student of uh, nonviolent strategies. If you want to stop an usurper, you are forming your own uh, institutions and you are trying to make them uh, more legitimate than the those of the regime. But uh, two months in the protests, uh, our opposition formed almost nothing. They started forming this Narodna Rada only uh, more than two months uh, later after in, the, in, the, in the protests. So uh, as a result, what we uh, had all this uh, time since the beginning of this wave of protest were just protesting. Protest is not necessarily resistance. Resistance is questioning legitimacy of, of, of the regime. And protest is just, you know, it's, it can be about communicating uh, uh, that people disagree with some state policies, but not necessarily questioning the right of these people to rule. So our political opposition and most of uh, of movements at Maidan, uh, they uh, they are not questioning legitimacy of the regime. Moreover, they are providing uh, this regime with legitimacy. Hmm. Several times they have mentioned the early elections, okay? But again, they came uh, uh, to discuss these early elections with Yanukovych. While what they should have done was just uh, uh, announce uh, the date of the elections, uh, point to their own uh, alternative head of uh, electoral commission, uh, call for the international community to send the observers, call for the Ukrainian NGOs to, to provide management of the elections, because it must be independent from the, from the political opposition, of course. Uh, you, you can't arrange elections for yourself, uh, and uh, but uh, nobody did that. Although there were such proposals, and uh, mm. I know that Zhenya uh, Tomoshenko, daughter of Yulia Tomoshenko, she addressed uh, Maidan uh, with, with a letter from uh, Yulia suggesting that uh, that independent uh, government is formed, and that was that was two months ago. And uh, now, uh, instead of forming independent government, uh, we are discussing uh, with the regime, I mean, the, the political opposition is now considering uh, whether to join or not uh, the, 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 this official illegitimate government controlled by the regime and by the college. So then there is no alternative there is there is nobody to talk to and uh, unfortunately as of today ukrainian opposition is not able to to create such alternative proposal for the world and for the people do you see um do you see this changing uh, i think yes i i think it's possible i think that now people would would uh, would 
be more critical about politicians and they will try to uh, to plan themselves because usually a successful civil resistance it it is uh, independent from the political opposition uh, it can coordinate its efforts uh, with with the opposition politicians and it's important to do that because in the end both both are trying to bring down uh, an authoritarian regime uh, but uh, civil resistance must be able to act independently from the political oppositions because uh, they have a very different logic of of uh, their, their work. And uh, uh, I hope that now people uh, in, in the civil movement, they will try to act uh, uh, in a united way, but independently from the political uh, campaigns. And uh, I think that uh, it's doable. Uh, I think that uh, why 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 uh, it is impossible if it was done in in 2004. And uh, I think that uh, Ukrainians we uh, have uh, success stories, uh, nonviolent success stories, and they've managed to bring down the previous attempt to lose power. Uh, by Yanukovych, and I'm sure it's possible, of course. Um, can, if people are interested in hearing more about your um, your thoughts and want to follow your blog, where will they find you online? Uh, you can find me on, on Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and Google+. Plus. Uh, just search for Dmytro Pakechen, D-M-Y-T-R-O, P O T E K H I N, and uh, I will be glad to share my uh, opinions and ideas. In the latest, uh, in the latest issue of the uh, Ukrainian Week, uh, there is my article called uh, "Eastern Gangstership." Hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, share my ideas on how to to deal with the situ- situation, and uh, I suggest two very basic uh, things uh, which can be done. And I briefly shared them with you today. But yeah, you're welcome to it. Awesome, Dmitro Petichin. Thank you so much for joining us, and all the best to you. Stay safe in Kiev, and look forward to uh, hearing more from you. Thank uh, you, and I would like to thank the, the Canadian government for actually taking some action on Ukraine now. It's it's uh, it's very good. Thank you. Thank you, Dmitro Potichin. Dujedjakuyu, Shirodjakuyu. Again, that was Dmitro Potichin, a civil disobedience specialist. Um, you can find out more uh, about uh, Dmitro online. Just uh, search for him, D M Y T R O Potichin, P O T E K H I N. And uh, you can also, failing that, uh, just check out the Nasholas Facebook page and I'll uh, have the information for you there. This is Nasholas Ukrainian Roots Radio. Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM, Radio Malaspina. Ти виводила лінії знов на руці, 
Heritage, hosted by Renata Hananetz in cooperation with the Jewish Heritage Museum in Lviv, Ukraine. This special Nasholos feature is brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter Initiative based in Toronto, Ontario. Scientific Center for Judaica and Jewish Art in Lviv, Ukraine. On January 16, 2014, Jews in Ukraine and around the world will observe Tu Bishvat, traditionally known as the New Year of Trees. 
According to the tradition of the Hasidism, on the Tubishvat, the Almighty decides the fate of trees and their fruits in the upcoming year's harvest. As on all Jewish holidays and the weekly Shabbat, Jews enjoy a celebratory meal called the Seder. Some Seders require following strict rituals. Some Jewish families like to eat meat on Tubishvat, others prefer vegetarian lasagna or a noodle casserole kugel. However, there are some common elements in a Tubishvat Seder. These are drinking four different types of wine and eating four different types of fruit. In Ukraine, Tubishvat is also a time to celebrate one of the most famous Jewish sages, Rabbi Shalom Mordechai Shvadron. Let the memory of him be blessed, also known as Maharsham of Berzhane. He was appointed rabbi of the Berzhane district in 1882 and continued to serve in that passion until the death in 1911. Physically, he was short and skinny, but in everything else, he was a giant of impossible comparison. Rabbi Shvadron was a genius in learning, a gifted teacher and an invaluable advisor to the Jewish community in Galicia and around the world. Every day he received a large bag of mail and he answered every single letter. Rabbi Shvadron published many books and commentaries. He was involved in the organization of rabbis outside his community and established a small local yeshiva where young men could study canonical texts and traditions. Three years ago, on January 21, 2011, more than a hundred pilgrims, all Rabbi Shvadron's descendants, came to Ukraine from around the world to commemorate the 100th anniversary of his death. The festivities took place in Berezhane, where Rabbi Shvadron rests in an ancient Jewish cemetery. Emotions were high, especially in discussions on the importance of preserving Jewish memory and local Jewish history as part of the Ukrainian state's heritage. The festive group then traveled to Kute, another historical town in the Karpaty, the Carpathian Mountains, to celebrate Shabbat and share stories about their grandparents, Ukraine's thriving Jewish life in times past and the revival of Jewish life here today. This pilgrimage has become an annual event as the location has taken on added significance. Next to the ancient Jewish cemetery in Berezhane, where Rav Shvadron was buried, is a mass grave of Holocaust victims. For decades, this unmarked burial site lay under a school playground adjacent to the cemetery. For many years, Melech Shechet begged the school official to move the playground so the gravesite could be fenced. It was only after the school children themselves intervened that the official agreed. The children attributed the deaths of several classmates to the location of their playground. Later, when Melech wanted to establish a memorial to Rav Shodron, these same children, now young adults, again offered to help. They will tell you that the mysterious deaths of their classmates stopped after the playground was moved and that the school official had a change in heart. So in the year 2000, the memorial to Rochefodron was established at the Berezhane Cemetery. Wherever you live, may you enjoy all the beauty that nature unfolds with the Tubishvat celebration and the coming of spring. This is Renata Hdenitz at the Faina Petrykova Scientific Center for Judaica and Jewish Art in Lviv, Ukraine.
Until next time, shalom. Thank you, Renata. Shchirodiakuyu. Join us again next week for another episode of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio, brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter Initiative. Січе дорога, гей, як та мати всім одна, гей, як та мати наше товариство, гей, марширує раз, два, три, гей, дай нам силу, відвагу, гей, Україні на славу, гей, Україні наше товариство, гей, марширує раз, два, три. Гей, там на горі січі де, гей, там на горі січі де, гей, там на горі наше товариство, гей, марширує раз, два, три, гей, марширує раз, два, три. And that was Luhansky Kozakev from Ukraine. Uh, we'll be back here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio for another half hour with Pavlina and guests. This is the end of part two of three podcasts of this week's edition of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. Check out part three for the rest of the show. And if you missed part one, make sure to check that one out too. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.